Hello, heroes. Welcome to Modifier. I'm your host, Megan Dornbrock. Hey there, heroes. A lot has changed since I got to talk to you last. But I want to keep this intro brief because the game we're discussing, Brinkwood, is in its last day on Kickstarter. It has smashed through its funding goal six times over, so if you're not hearing this episode immediately, I think you'll be able to catch this good, good game a little later on with no problem. I am so sorry for the delay on this one. It is entirely my fault. Eric Bernhardt and I recorded this in early March of this year, maybe a week or two before lockdowns and quarantines started in the U.S. Listening back to it now in October... I think this is a really poignant episode for 2020 as we touch on things like oppressive wealth vampires and the burnout you get from trying to do the right things for your community. <laughs> on that note, one last time-sensitive plea for you. If you are legally able to vote in the U.S. election, please do it. Vote local, vote federal, do your homework, and vote fascists out of every level that you can. Fuck Trump, get him out of here. Let's get to the show. Hey there, heroes. This week, I am joined by Eric Bernhardt, and we are going to talk about his game, Brinkwood. Hey, Eric. Hi. I'm happy to be here. I'm happy that you are here. Uh, for heroes that don't know you, do you want to introduce yourself a little bit? Some projects that you've worked on or places that they might know you from? Sure. Yeah. Um, I think the main place people will know me from is Twitter. Um, I'm on Twitter as at uh, EricTheBarrick. Um, I also make a couple games that can find on itch.io. I've run a couple of Kickstarters before, way back in the day of like the Google Plus era, uh, stuff like. Ooh. Um, <laughs> so yeah, the the dark times, the before times, the, the, the bygone days of gaming. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, so uh, people may know me from there; they may not. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah. Awesome. Where where have all the Google Plus communities gone? Do you know? Uh, Twitter, mostly. Okay. Or yeah. away, which is good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, yes. <laughs> In some cases, yes. Cool. So we're talking about Brinkwood. Um mm -hmm. there's there's some there's some subtitles for this game, some comparisons for this game. Um do you have like a like a short version of of what Brinkwood is? Yeah. Um I've been I've been trying to get to a concise pitch. Mm -hmm. The best I have is uh Robin Hood versus Vampires. Um Cool. And I tell people, you know, if that catches your interest, you'll like this game. I have tried to go like a couple different directions with it, mm -hmm. but I feel like at the core, that's what it's about. And kind of how much of it is what I think it is, is kind of uh, subjective to what it actually is. So that's fair. Cool. So that's, I think that's a, a good place to get started. Um, and then we actually met through Dyer. Uh, from yes. the San Gennaro co-op is is this a San Gennaro game is this yes. like is that where you're working oh, cool yeah how, how does that work for your game because we talked to Dyer about like the the quarterlies and how those sorts of things work but how does it work with Brinkwood right so um Brinkwood's a bit of an experiment where it's um it's a team project within San Gennaro so um you know it's still under the San Gennaro label we're under all the everyone who works on it is a member of the San Gennaro co-op we're following kind of all the principles of San Gennaro but it's a sub team that's more focused on just producing this game whereas uh things like the digests are more like all hands on deck or anyone who's interested 
so we're doing things like, you know, democratic control of business decisions, um, profit sharing, things like that, which uh, I really enjoy. And I really am excited about to see how well it works um, financially and um, how well it works creatively. Yeah, that'll be really interesting to find out. Um, from a creative aspect, was this one person's kind of idea going in or was this like a collective thing that you like, how does, how's that working out so far? So, um, it started as a pitch from me to the rest of the co-op as this is a game I want to make with the co-op. And I did have like a fair bit already kind of sketched out Mm -hmm. and I I had to go through like a couple iterations though of it with the co-op, like people pointing things out that didn't quite work, um, especially Mm -hmm. from like a business perspective or um, Mm -hmm. just like overlaps we didn't want or things we wanted to be assured of before we kind of moved forward with the project. Mm -hmm. But uh, once we kind of moved through that process, which I think was really helpful for, for the game, we, you know, put it up for a vote. We got near unanimous support, I think, and uh, it became an official project. Awesome. That's really exciting. Mm -hmm. And then about it a little bit more specifically. um, So Brinkwood is a forged in the dark game. Yes, correct. So for heroes that don't know, that's that's based on the Blades in the Dark system. Yes. Um, Was that was that part of your initial pitch? Did you know it was going to be a forged in the dark game? Yeah, um, it kind of came out of a different pitch uh, that a friend of mine, Talon Lee, kind of like played around with a little bit and then kind of put down and was like, eh, I'm, I'm not super interested in like taking this over the finish line, so to speak. Yeah. Or like developing this out as because he had his own projects to work on. So he said, you know, and I was really keen on the idea um, of just this, you know, Robin Hood versus vampires concept uh, using Forge yeah. in the Dark rules. So he kind of gave it to me as a gift um, oh, so I nice. could work on it. What a, what a good gift. Mm-hmm. Is, is there anything in particular about the Blades in the Dark system that you like really love or really engage with? I I kind of love all of it. So it's hard to like <laughs> Fair. delve too deeply into that. I mean, there's, there's certain things I think could be better. I think if you look mm-hmm. at games like Trophy, um, as well as just other like derivatives of uh, the Forge in the Dark system, certain things do things better than others. Mm-hmm. What I really enjoy about it is the kind of two games that intermesh together because you have, yeah. you know, this campaign level game of what's going on in your city or your country or your town with your crew. Um, and then mm-hmm. there's this, you know, the moment to moment game of the score of the foray of the mission. And as a GM, I've always kind of been in a place where I've been trying to get to a game that kind of runs itself because mm-hmm. I am both very bad at prep and need a whole lot of it in order to run a good game. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I wanted to make a game that kind of prepped itself as it went along. Um, yes. And I think uh, Forged in the Dark can be really good for that. Yeah, absolutely it can. Are uh, are you u- utilizing the like the flashbacks mechanic about it too? Yes, definitely. Yeah. Um, yeah, cool. there's a lot of... I think of- that's one of its biggest strengths for for preparing itself yeah <laughs> definitely because like it, it it can be a little uh difficult to get people into the mindset of it if they're used to like more traditional 
role-playing games. Um, the idea that you do not have to plan everything out. You do not have to go into a mission knowing exactly what you're going to do or else bad things will happen. Um, mm-hmm. There's always a thing of like, you cannot control what, what I always try to say to players is you cannot control how badly things are going to go. I cannot control <laughs> how badly things are going to go. All we can do mm-hmm. is see where the dice land and then kind of work mm-hmm. backwards from that, you know, to get mm-hmm. to, to flash back to you preparing for this moment and getting yourself out of trouble. Or if the dice, you know, come up your way, you know, everything's mm-hmm. going great and we just kind of keep moving along. Yeah. Oh, that never happens. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Cool. So before we get into taking it apart little by little or getting too close in, um, mm-hmm. what is the experience you want players to have with Brinkwood? So I want them to have a fun game that they enjoy more than anything. I think the experience I kind of design towards is I believe every game, every role-playing game, no matter how you design it, no matter how you theme it, eventually becomes a black comedy and you might as well embrace Mm it. Um, Mm -hmm. So I want my game to be funny, um, but also kind of serious when it needs to be in tone. Um, I want my game to feel kind of pulpy. Um, I don't want you to feel like, um, which can happen in some Forge in the Dark games, that you're just kind of being ground down slowly and everything, like, you know, every two, every step forward comes with two steps back and that sort of thing. Um, I want my game to feel like you're building momentum and you're getting stronger. So th- those are kind of like the emotional beats I want to hit. Mm-hmm. From a story perspective, it's what it's really about is it's about kind of building and understanding what it takes to make the world better because you're in this scenario where you're these rebels out in this forest and you start in a position where everything kind of sucks and things have just gotten so bad that, you know, you've had to leave everything you've loved behind and run into the forest and risk your life. And the way things improve is by reaching out to people, by uh, forming relationships, by building alliances, by, you know, helping people who need help and being helped in return. So the coolest moments to me are when players say things like, hey, you know, that townsperson we talked to two sessions ago, you know, I bet they could really use this thing that we just found or... Um, Mm. Hey, before we go to this town, you know, why don't we talk to like the town elders and figure out what they really need right now uh, before we, you know, come in and start blowing stuff up, so to speak. Um, And kind of watching that emotional journey that I kind of went on uh, in my own personal life through my organizing experience of moving away from a position where you have an idea of how to make things better and you're enforcing it on people to mm-hmm. more of a concept of you want to make things better and you want to work with people who know how people know best how to make their own lives better. Yeah. That's cool. Mm-hmm. Man, I like that a lot. All right. So let's talk a little bit more about the world of Brinkwood, because I think that was one of my favorite things to read about. <laughs> Good. <laughs> yeah. What, what's going on here? Um, a lot. <laughs> um, 
So just some stuff. Just some stuff. So I kind of start explaining this by saying kind of like what things were like before and like mm-hmm. leading into the moment you're dropped mm-hmm. into play, which is um it's set in kind of a fantasy world that has that is starting to industrialize and has kind of moved past having like individual fantasy races like there are no dwarves there are no elves there are dvar folk and there are um like fey folk so everyone is kind of you know intermarried there's no like i i can point to you and say you have for certain dwarven ancestry or whatever like that though at some point in the past there was and at the moment, and like the world kind of used to be, you know, kind of generic fantasy kingdom land. Mm-hmm. And then the vampires arrived and mm-hmm. they kind of blew that feudal system up, placed mm-hmm. it with this kind of hyper feudal industrial capitalism where uh, vampires are made by hoarding wealth. Currency in this game is literally blood mi- mixed with silver to create this kind of alchemical concoction that turns people into a vampire. So the way you become a vampire is you get a bunch of money, you drink that money, um, and you keep drinking money and you keep drinking blood to stay a vampire. And uh, that's a metaphor for something that you can probably figure out. (laughs) (laughs) We'll we'll think on it for a few minutes and get back to you. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's awesome. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And um, kind of who you are in the world is you're a regular person, you're a peasant, you're an apprentice, you're someone just kind of living your life. And then in character creation, some tragedy befalls you. Something happens in your life or happens to a loved one, or you witness something being done to someone else. And that tragedy kind of sparks the need in you to rebel against your current circumstances. So you run off into this forest known as the Brinkwood that everyone says is super dangerous and will kill you. Um, Mm -hmm. And you kind of manage to survive this forest. And in doing so, you meet up with uh, beings known as the Fae, who have their own problems with vampires and kind of want to help you out in defeating them. Your, uh, Your first act is kind of making allies and all the power you gain, all the success you have, all everything mechanically that develops your character from then on is pretty much making allies and building your movement and helping people out. Cool. And and the Fae, you know, historically noted noted altruists, very, very good all the time at helping. Um, so with, with no downside whatsoever. Yeah. Uh, how's that work out? <laughs> so yeah, so like, so it's kind of this thing where I treat that as in my world, that's vampire propaganda, for the most part. Um, mm. The Fae are indeed altruistic, question mark, in that they do genuinely want to help people. Um, and mm-hmm. they do genuinely share your interests. They're just very bad at it because they don't understand human beings. Like a, okay. a fae can be like, oh, you're a human, this human. What do I need to give this human to keep them alive? Okay, they need food. What's food made out of? Is this rock food, human? Is, th- oh, is no. this branch? Is this, is, I, I've seen you eat um, berries. Are these deadly poisonous berries food? You know, mm-hmm. and it's kind of like that where they, a lot of the Fae, you know, kind of vary between two poles of like very much wanting to help 
and like mm -hmm. being over eager to it to being like kind of reticent and like not like having been burned by humans in the past or like just having their own reservations or you know that sort of thing that need to be overcome um but they all like very clearly aren't trying to screw you over like if you okay. get screwed over by a fay it's because there was a there was a breakdown somewhere in communication you know they weren't trying oh. to trick you yeah cool Okay, I like that take. Mm -hmm. um, and and one of the things when I was reading through that the the one of the things the Fae can offer you are masks. Is that yes? Still think yeah. Let's what are what are these? They're kind of core to the game. Um, so if you're familiar <laughs> with um, Forge in the Dark, uh, you know how a character sheet typically looks, where it's one page and it's kind of got two sides to it. Where on one side it's all the stuff that's kind of about you as a character, all the background, um, and the other one mm -hmm. is kind of like the playbook or the class or the archetype that you fill in. Mm -hmm. And so in Brinkwood, the kind of second half of that, the class, the archetype, the playbook is the mask. And mm -hmm. it can change from session to session. And it allows people to be flexible in who their characters are and what their characters are able to do. Narratively speaking, I kind of set it up so that people decide up front kind of what the lore of the masks are you know they can be things like you know they were literally tools made by the fey to try and fight mm -hmm. in their war and they kind of like have uh, picked up a lot of personality and have their own agendas to they're literally just masks made out of wood and the fact that you believe in them and the fact mm -hmm. that you're willing to swear oaths upon them is what gives them all their power but they are um, centrally gifts that the Fae have given you in order to help you win your rebellion against the vampires. So they let you do, they let you use some limited form of Fae magic. They let you be stronger, be better, be more healthy, be more uh, aggressive, be more interesting, be more mm -hmm. uh, duplicitous if you need to be. You know, they can do things like let you make things spontaneously combust when you give a speech all the way to uh, letting you literally see every person in your vicinity's heartbeat, uh, to knowing the darkest fear of one of your enemies. So the abilities are kind of all over the place, but they're thematically linked into specific masks. Um, they have names like violence and terror and uh, lies. And this kind of goes back to that idea that the Fae don't quite understand that these are supposed to be bad things. Yeah. And they're more just like kind of giving you the tool. It's like, yeah. well, you've heard violence is always bad, but what if you use it to defend people, you know? And that's mm -hmm. what violence is a lot about is it's got things that hurt people, but it's also got things that protect people um, yeah. or lies. You know, you've heard that lying is always a bad thing. Well, what about when a lie gives someone hope or a lie makes it possible for someone to continue going on when they need it most. And what about, mm -hmm. you know, lies is kind of that mirror thing of like, what if, what happens when you reveal the truth? You know, when is that appropriate? When is that helpful? Um, yeah. And that lets you be more kind of like socially have more utility in social situations. So yeah, yeah that's what masks oh, are cool. in brief. Nice. 
Um, yeah, so it sounds like there's they are dangerous things. They are not always great things that have a cool spin on them. Um, is is there a downside to masks? What is what is the downside? Yes, um, yes, and no. In that they because they are creations of the Fey, you know, no matter what. They also don't mm-hmm. quite understand you. They mm. will occasionally offer you things called mask bargains, uh, which kind of takes the place of demons bargains and stuff like that and other okay, Forge in yeah. the Dark games, where the masks will basically ask you to commit more to the cause, or they will ask you to go harder, is the way I like to put it. It usually involves putting yourself in a more dangerous, more desperate situation, or committing to do something that isn't always going to be super popular, but the mask thinks needs to get done or Mm -hmm. doing something in the future that, you know, may be difficult to do. And because the masks don't really understand human limits, that's kind of where it comes into. It's funny. I was just listening to your episode, talking to uh, Tracy about burnout and, uh, that's kind of what the masks do is, is they oh, unintentionally cool. <laughs> try to burn you out. Um, yeah. Cause they're just like, no, you're, you're already doing so much. You can do a little more. Right. Mm-hmm. And that has consequences both mechanically and narratively for characters. Oh, excellent. And uh, j- just so people don't feel like that's like a random detail. The reason that's there is that it kind of mirrors my own experience in organizing that the the biggest danger you face is burnout. And um, oh. when you're doing things to try and make the world better, there will be a lot of pressures that try to kind of burn you out. Not necessarily yeah. like coming from other people, but more just kind of coming from the situation and just what you're taking in and just where you're at. Because when you're in the middle of something, it's it's very hard to see where your limit is, uh, mm-hmm. at least in my experience. Yeah. So we, we talked a little bit about who inhabits the world mm-hmm. of Brinkwood. I want to talk a little bit more specifically then about like who the players can be, like what, what these, what their options are there. Yeah, that's, that's a good question. I think kind of the generic answer is you can be anyone, but mm-hmm. there's uh, how character creation is structured is, who you are mechanically comes from uh, how you were raised and kind of what you did for a living before you ran off. And I use for a living very loosely because there's professions (laughs) like ascetic, uh, which is just someone Mm -hmm. who lives out in the woods and tries to be with nature or, or, um, you know, there's stuff like cut purse, which is sort of a profession, more of just like being a criminal. And, those two things kind of taken together kind of like shape the very the, the very loose bones of your character that mm-hmm. I think people can level a lot of things onto. There's also considerations of like heritage. Um, I was talking about things like, you know, Devar folk and Sil folk. Uh, you can talk, mm-hmm. and this mo- mostly expresses itself kind of in the aesthetics of your character and mostly because I wanted people to have that grounding of, okay, I know what a dwarf is kind of like, you know, so I can kind of instantly grab onto that. If I'm new to this more story gaming style, I can say my Mm. character is a dwarf and, or they are, they are part dwarf and they do dwarfy things. And then kind of the last piece of it is I call it your class, but it's really just kind of a a quick set of points that you put into your different abilities that are narratively defined by 
the idea is that this is what you learned from your time in the forest, just kind of surviving. Um, and it also kind of like spreads the points out in a way so that you're not going to kind of hamstring your character, which is an easy-ish thing to do in Forge the Dark, especially at low levels. Yeah. Um, you can not put any points in resolve and oops, the first time someone, a vampire tries to mesmerize you, you're rolling zero dice and that can really suck. So yeah. that's kind of the situation classes are designed to avoid. Cool. I like it. I like that flexibility. And then having that, that layer of, of the mask abilities on top of that gives mm -hmm. you a whole, a whole dang person. Oh, there's, there's one more thing. Sorry. Oh, yeah. Uh, I wanted to say, um, which is you, you can, you can be a peasant and you can be kind of like a laborer and you can be kind of a, an apprentice, uh, a worker, mm -hmm. but there's also the option to be, I call them scions and they're essentially class traders. They're people that were raised in vampiric families and were kind of expected to become a vampire uh, and Ooh. may have actually kind of drinking blood, drank blood drinking <laughs> and have kind of realized the horror of what they're doing. And they were kind of a late addition to the game, but um, I played a game called Rich Kid Problems by Maria Misson. Yeah. And it kind of opened my eyes to the perspective of, you know, it's interesting to be a class trader, to be someone who carries that level mm -hmm. of guilt around with them for having kind of participated in this exploitation and benefited from it. Yeah. And it's one of like the more popular characters in games I run or one of mm. one of the more popular backgrounds because I think it kind of resonates with a lot of people. Yeah. The idea of what you do with kind of the guilt of capitalism and how you kind of deal with it and also try and focus it towards more positive things. Yeah, absolutely. And that kind of like, like I have some things in my notes that don't really flow coherently and this brushes up kind of next to one of them, mm -hmm. uh, which, which is as I was reading and, and as you mentioned before, the actual currency in the game Yes. Is what they use to become vampires. Yes. So you drink money. At, yes. Which so I hmm. Subtlety is <laughs> for cowards. Yeah, no, absolutely it is. Um, uh how okay. There's so many things going on here with just <laughs> the idea that, that that's a thing that people are holding in their hands at various points in their life and mm -hmm. looking at it and going, hmm. I know yeah. what this does. Yeah, there, there's uh, there's no getting away from it. You know, you yeah. everything like buying your bread, you know, trying to buy a house. It's inescapable. Every time you do it, you have to pick up a coin that, you know, like is red from the blood in it, you know? Yeah. How so how much do you have to amass together for it to actually do anything to you if you drank it? Um, this kind of like flexes narratively. Okay. And it depends. I, 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 so half joking, half serious. It depends how much of a socialist you are. Um, okay. whether or not you think, you know, you need to be a millionaire to become a vampire or a billionaire uh, to become a vampire. Uh, 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 okay. Uh, that's a good answer. <laughs> and that's wild. And, and there's definitely like some person has sat at home and like tried to melt it down themselves. Right. And like, Oh, Oh, hundred percent. See what happens. Okay. So it's like the, the question of whether or not you try to become a vampire is the question of capitalism, right? It's the question yeah. of 
like I call them uh, wisps in my game, and mm-hmm. uh, they vary between vampire collaborators and just people that are on that hustle or on that grind because you too can pull yourself up by your bootstraps and get enough blood sterling together and definitely become a vampire. Don't worry about why all the vampires are white and come from the same families and all came here from somewhere else and Uh um, kind of colonized us. That definitely doesn't have any (laughs) sociopolitical ramifications you no. can definitely don't worry about it. You too can become a vampire if only you're willing to work hard enough. Yep. But uh, yeah, so th- there's like gradients of vampire where there's I, I kind of go up a hierarchy um, of, uh, you know, there are bit bloods, which are people that just have like a very small amount of comparatively speaking, a very small amount of blood sterling. And uh, which is the currency we're talking about, the blood and silver Mm -hmm. mixed together. And they get a little bit of power. And then you might also have kind of like at their level or below their level lone fangs, which are people who get their blood from someone else. And then kind of the next level up is squires and landlords, people that control property or control a factory or control something that they can extract blood and rent from the people who live on it. So it's all tied to kind of the pr- your property as well, because as you amass more property and the ability to kind of extract blood and silver from it on a regular basis, you kind of move up the hierarchy. So from being a landlord to kind of being a baron to being a duke all the way up to kind of being, uh, you know, a full-fledged vampire lord who controls, you know, an entire county and has, you know, blood and silver that you don't even have to go out and get. Other people go out and get the blood for you and bring it to you, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's it's all about, and vampire society is all structured around how dirty you have to get your hands. You know, the kind yeah. of the lowest people are the people that have to like actually go out and drink peasants. Ugh, can you imagine how disgusting? <laughs> Whereas the proper vampires, you know, have it imported and bottled and poured into mm-hmm. glasses and, you know, live like civilized folk. Um, of course. So, uh, yeah, again, metaphors. Yeah, I love it. Oh, cool. One of One of the other things that this doesn't flow super great, but I liked in some of the descriptions of the game, there's a term that you use and it's castle punk. And I think it's my new yeah. favorite word. And I want to know <laughs> what you great. think it means or what it means to you. So a friend of mine kind of helped me coin this Sir Corelli on Twitter. Um, Cause mm-hmm. I was kind of like, I was trying to get to this idea of like, what does Castlevania and Bloodborne and like the Castlevania Netflix series And Mm -hmm. like these other kind of like medieval ish things all have in common. And basically the idea is it's, it's a setting that's kind of Gothic medieval. So you have these huge arches and uh, great cathedral like buildings and, you know, bridges that don't make any sense. And, you know, the political system Mm -hmm. is still sort of feudal and you still have, you know, that air of aristocracy kind of permeating Mm -hmm. everything. But at the same time, you're not super concerned with like actual historical accuracy or anything like that. And it's kind of more of this gothic fantasy where you'll have gears and you'll have factories and you'll have, you know, gaslit uh, lamps and, you know, still a little bit of magic on the periphery of things. 
Um, and uh, what's really important to me about it, though, is kind of the punk side of it, because mm-hmm. these days we a lot of the times when we talk about X punk, we kind of just mean that thing like steampunk yeah. is just steam kind of. Um, yeah. or, you know, if you talk to certain people, cyberpunk is just kind of the cyber aesthetic, mm-hmm. whereas to me, castle punk very much leans into the punk side of the aesthetic where, you know, there's all these beautiful castles and there's, you know, people drinking blood out of chalices and there's great balls and like operas and, you know, all this fancy, beautiful filigree stuff, darkly beautiful stuff, but you're not here to kind of admire it or try to become part of it, or like try to, you know, work your way up in it. Um, mm-hmm. You're here to burn it all down. You're here to smash the evil <laughs> that kind of permeates yeah. your world. Uh, you're here yeah. to be punk. I think in my description, like I get a little vulgar at the end. I say, uh, like, you are here to fuck shit up, stay mad, mm-hmm. stay punk. But uh, that's that's uh, a portion of it that is very important to me. I like that. I agree with that. I, I love when I see a word that I've never seen before and I go, I know exactly what that means. Uh, that's that's awesome. Word. Yeah. <laughs> um, cool. So Blades in the Dark stuff specifically, like we'll talk mm-hmm. uh, mechanics just a little bit. Were there any parts of the system in particular that you found uh, you had to change a lot to fit your idea or that you had to leave out or, or what was, what was that like? Or was it kind of a, a pretty easy? I mean, uh, it, it started out, I, I always start from the perspective of like, don't change what's not broken. So you'll notice like all of my actions are very similar to default blades in the dark actions. Cause I feel like, you know, we're still in that same vein of like skulking around fantasy punk uh, cities and doing bad things to bad people. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. But on the same side, like kind of what I was talking about where Forge in the Dark kind of tries to grind you down in a lot of ways. And it doesn't really care if your character dies, you know, the the crew is what's important. I didn't really like that approach. I wanted this game to be a little more heroic and a little more uplifting. So I did have to like fiddle with the stress track a little bit where the stress track is now split across, you know, your mask has its own pool of stress called essence. And then you have your own stress that's separate, but also kind of interchangeable. So, you know, you can use, uh, you have more resources before you kind of like burn out and die and fall off the side of a bridge. And also I had this, I had an experience recently um, in a play test where the dice just, just utterly betrayed my players. Like they could not Mm -hmm. get a success to save their lives. And which is really rare and really strange to happen in blades in the dark. Cause you have like 50, 50 odds of at least getting something, even if you have to take a consequence with it. And I kind of had to look at that and like grapple with it a bit. It's it's funny because um, in your interview with uh, Ollie talking about quietus, he I kind of had the inverse problem where like oh. he had the session that was kind of the action movie. I had the session that w- that turned into a game of quietus, you know, um, oh, no. and like at the end of which there were like we had to literally take a break in the game because you know people were starting to get upset there were starting to be tears and it was not the game we wanted to play so i had to rip out the harm system uh in default blades in the dark which uh Mm. i would argue no one actually uses the way it's designed anyway because if you use it as it's designed it'll just kill you 
it'll mm-hmm. it, it, it's a it's a death spiral you know because you start losing mm-hmm. dice you start losing effect and then you're just helpless as you take more and more harm so i ripped that out and i replaced it um with something i'm actually really proud of and i'm actually really glad that replacing this gave me this idea, this idea of bands, B-A-N-S. And it oh. kind of goes back to that fey folk kind of history and relationship where, you know, very traditionally the fey have certain things they cannot do. They cannot touch silver, you know, they cannot mm-hmm. uh, cross a river on Sundays or, you know, whatever this weird, obscure rule is. And mm-hmm. y- your characters are not fey, but because they get a lot of their power from the Fae, the idea is that you can get more power. You can you can you can get rid of consequences. You can make sure that you succeed. You can re-roll dice so long as you're willing to take on a ban like the Fae. So you know you can mm-hmm. do things like oh I can't touch silver anymore. So you can't do anything with blood sterling for a while. Or ah. I can't touch iron, so I can't use a blade. Or I can't touch uh, leather, so you know you can't use armor anymore. All the way up yeah. to things like that are more narrative, like you cannot laugh, uh, you cannot cry, you cannot sing, and like those hurt your ability to do other things as well as just kind of narratively impacting you. Yeah. And none of these are permanent. Kind of keeping with the theme of the game, the way you kind of get rid of bands or you fix them is. You know, you go back to camp and you get help from someone either by just like talking out what happened or mm. reconnecting with your humanity or just like get getting someone else to help you to get better, so to speak. Yeah. And that was really important to me as well, because like in a lot of revolutionary fiction, the idea is you're kind of just on this downward slope and you're just going to get worse and worse as the experience breaks you more and more. Um, Mm -hmm. And it's really been my experience that kind of what stops that downward spiral in my own life is, you know, the people around me, the people that do check-ins, the people that say, hey, you know, I noticed that was really rough for you. How are you feeling about it? You know, let's talk about it. Or what do you need to do in order to feel better about this, even if it's just, you know, shooting the shit or taking your mind off it or doing something else. So, um, yeah. So nothing that happens bad to your character is permanent and nothing bad that happens to your character is not your choice, which is very much in the in the vein of Blades in the Dark. But I feel mm-hmm. like I just push that a little further so that it's like, no, really, if you don't want to fail, you can give something up and not fail. Or if yeah. you really don't want to take a consequence and you're running low on stress, you know, you can push yourself that little bit further to kind of make sure the thing that you want you want to tell the story that you want to tell. Yeah, that's perfect. And that was something that was illuminated through playtesting, which is one mm-hmm. of my favorite things to talk about is, was there anything during playtesting that happened that really surprised you or, or had caused you to make a change that you really didn't expect? I think I always knew in the back of my mind I'd have to replace harm, so we won't talk about that one again. I'd say... Something that kind of surprised me was I was very lucky to have other people that were willing to GM my game Mm. early-ish on. And as I saw other people GM it, um, I had this very intricate setup where I'm kind of both a board game designer and an RPG designer, um, where essentially as the GM, 
between each session, you would essentially play a little board game with yourself to try and figure out what the vampires were doing. And I love doing it. And I thought it was super cool. But uh, everyone who GM'd the game took one look at it and was like, yeah, no, nah, I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that every time. And <laughs> oh, like, yeah, it, it was very much a kill your darling sort of moment where I was like, mm-hmm. oh, I, I, I like doing this, but I need to yeah. give people other options. So yeah. I eventually landed on something that kind of kept the spirit of what I was trying to accomplish and like gave everyone kind of the low prep thing that I was trying to do. But at the same time, like was not as crunchy and only applicable to weird board game nerds like me. <laughs> <laughs> That's all right. You you get to still do the board game thing when you run it then. Right, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> if we have piqued your interest, heroes, good news. Brinkwood is on Kickstarter. Uh, what can you tell us about the Kickstarter? So yeah, so the Kickstarter's uh, launching April 15th, uh, tax day. You can visit brinkwood.net. I'm sure there will be links in the description, but if you just, you know, something keys off in your memory from this, remember that, mm-hmm. brinkwood.net. Mm-hmm. And I'm excited because we're going to get to, you know, make a book, obviously, but uh, I'm also starting to look at stretch goals now. Uh, I'm reaching out to a lot of people um, that I'm very excited to work with that I think will bring kind of neat little um, kind of extra narrative bits to the game. And uh, something I'm really excited about, though it's not 100% formalized, is that I'll also probably be able to um, include a stretch goal where we put out a zine of a smaller game that is itself based on Brinkwood. Mm. And uh, I'm really excited to do that because it's working with another creator and who doesn't typically have access to the resources of Kickstarter. And I'm, I'm really excited that we might be able to help them out with that if, you know, we raise the right money and everything goes as planned. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I'm also really excited just to see kind of how our shares um, and kind of the ways we've done things financially, how, how kind of the wider community responds to it. I firmly believe that, you know, a co-op structure might very well be the future of this industry. And, you know, having people who worked on things own a stake in what they made is very important to me. So I think we're being generous isn't even the right word. It's more that we're being fair and equitable in a very real, tangible sense, because it's not out of generosity. It's out of paying people what they're worth. And I'm really excited you know, to see what kind of precedent maybe that sets if we're successful yeah, and uh, what kind of other things, you know, kind of come out of that aspect of it as well. Yeah, that's exciting. I'm sure you're not alone in that excitement and hope that it does set a precedent like that would be great. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so this will be linked in the show notes. Heroes, go <laughs> take a look. Hopefully we can make this happen. Is there is there anything else that you want us to know about Brinkwood? I would say the the one thing I've I've kind of been trying to say uh, a lot is this game might not be everyone's bag. There are things that are kind of serious in it. There are things that you know uh, if you don't like games that are violent, if you don't like games that are kind of like about what Brinkwood's about. I, I totally understand it. Understand if you don't want to play my game. What I want to encourage people to do is. If, if you like the idea of it, if you do like the game, obviously go out and get it. But 
even if you don't, please tell other people about it. Um, please, you know, tweet about it. If you do like things about it, say what you like about it. Because really the only way this project's going to work is if it, it gets to the people that will like it and will enjoy it. Because it's very important to me that I don't try to sell the game falsely or say that it's something that it's not. But at the same time, I, I'm making a game for the people who will love it and I want, to, I want it to reach as many of the people who will love it that it can. Yeah, that's good. But hopefully you like it, you know? Yeah, <laughs> so. I think I think there's a lot to like. Like just, just reading about the world for me was very, very fun. So I'm excited to, to find out more about that. Awesome. Um, yeah. On that note, uh, Eric, where can heroes find you on the web if you would like to be found? Sure. Yeah. I'm The best place to find me is on Twitter. Uh, my handle is at Eric the Barrack. I'm pretty active there. I'm also pretty responsive there too. If people have questions about anything I said or just want to talk game design or talk about politics or anything like that, I'm always looking to meet more people kind of in the game design space. And, you know, yeah. Oh, I'll, yeah. also my games are on itch.io. Also, I'm, I'm also Eric the Barrack there. Nice. I like consistency. <laughs> it <laughs> makes my job easier. Exactly. Um, <laughs> nice. Well, thank you so much. This is really cool and exciting in a lot of different ways. I'm, I'm glad you were able to come on and tell us about it. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. This, I really love Modifier and uh, I, I really I really appreciate this show. From, from listening to the Tracy Barnett episode, <laughs> um, it sounds like it's not always easy, but um, as one of your listeners, I just want to say I really appreciate all the hard work that goes into it. Thank you. That means a lot. Huge thanks again to Eric for this wonderful chat and all the congratulations for such a successful Kickstarter. I'm really looking forward to Brinkwood, and I hope you are too. That's all for this week, heroes. Follow Modifier on Twitter at ModifierPodcast, or send us questions, comments, and suggestions through email at ModifierPodcast at gmail.com. Modifier is part of the OneShot Podcast Network, an incredible family of RPG podcasts, including shows like this one. The Broadswords is an all-women D&D podcast focused on drama, roleplay, and subverting stereotypes. Join the Broads as they unravel the mysteries of Snowy Reshaman, a land ruled by witches and steeped in superstition. Berserkers reign and spirits roam the frozen wastes. Yalaris, Kayla, and Maypri all have their own reasons for journeying north, but they soon find they have something in common. They are pawns of a divine plot. To find out more about this and other shows on the network, visit OneShotPodcast.com. Modifier's theme music was created by my favorite Bothan, Cat Greenfield, whose myriad talents are on display at CatGreenfield.com. Join me again in two weeks for another episode of Modifier. See you then. <laughs>